When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I mean, a lot. I mean, you know... I think you saw what he did when we played Arizona. You know, I, the kid has uh, got tremendous feet. He's a great kid, works really hard, um, studies, um, takes coaching very, very well, uh, catches the ball well. So, you know, it's just it's another weapon, and for us to have a guy like him and uh, the weapons outside that we have, I think it just adds to what we can do offensively. All right, that was Mike Zimmer talking about Delvin Cook and now joining the show along with myself, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin, our friend, former Viking Alex Boone. What is going on, Alex? Matt, it's great to be here. What is up? What is up? Football is up, Alex. We are getting closer and closer. And uh, let me get your take first because we I wanted to talk about a few things with the Vikings. But Courtney and I were discussing um, Dallas potentially signing Ezekiel Elliott um, yep. The number that has been floated out is $90 million for Ezekiel Elliott. Where do you stand on running back value in the year 2019, Alex? Listen, I'm never going to tell anybody that they shouldn't get paid, and I hope that everybody is eventually overpaid in this league because I was a player at one point. But I will say that $90 million is pretty steep for one running back. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to think, that's a lot of money that you're taking away from not only your defense, but your offensive line, Dak, Amari. I mean, there's more guys down the line that need to get paid, so I just think it's a lot of money. And they just paid Lyle Collins uh, a big deal this morning. They have him locked in at right tackle through 2024. So, I don't know, Alex. You take a look at like the other investments that they've made, like some really major ones on the offensive line. So it felt like all along, well... The whole charade of he's in Cabo, he's not at camp, is this deal ever going to get done? And then the team says it's going to get done ahead of week one, which now it looks like. Um, it feels like they were trying to set this up all along. Maybe I'm not reading that correctly, but just from like the way that they, you know, over the years, like, you know, the extension for Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, and now Lyle Collins, like that's a pretty big portion of your team that you're trying to keep intact through 2023 and 2024. I agree, and I think that the one thing that's going to help them, obviously, is going to be the salary cap's going to rise. But, I mean, I'm with you. I think that these guys are getting smarter and smarter on how to dip out of a training camp. I mean, like, here was about to be, like, (laughs) the most bare-knuckle brawl fight ever, right? Ezekiel Elliott, the rushing leader of the league versus Jerry Jones, the leader of all the owners. Like, guys, sit down. I got this. And all of a sudden, like, 
the day, the first day of the week of week one, all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's kiss and make up, and this never happened. Let's just sign you to this deal, and we'll move on. I mean, it just to me, it sounds like this has been planning all along, and I agree with you guys. And if you're going to do it, why didn't you just do it earlier? Why did you bring so much drama on your own team? That was just so silly. Because the NFL loves drama, right? Well, so Jerry Jones loves drama, <laughs> yes. and everybody knows Jerry's all about himself. So, I mean... This is probably just one of those propaganda things to get his own vocab out there, to throw some quotes <laughs> out there. He's like, hey, guys, I'm still relevant in this thing. And Oh, by the way. But seriously, when you think about this, how are they going to start to pay everybody else? I really do think eventually you're going to no run idea. out of money. You're going to run out of money. So I'm curious because we haven't talked since um, cut down day and all of the big things that happened throughout the league. And we're actually watching uh, something on ESPN2 right now talking about the Jadavian Clowney trade to the Seahawks and what the heck they were doing in Houston. What's your take on just the way that the, I guess, what happens now in the AFC South, but the way that one roster changed overnight? We see this in the NBA all the time during free agency because a league where one player can change you know, and cause a domino effect. But watching right. what the Texans did with the initial trade in the morning to the, with Clowney to the Seahawks and then trading away all of their draft capital till the time I'm 50. Right. Uh, That's it, terrible. In getting with the Dolphins. I mean, what's your takeaway from all that? It's terrible. I think that Bill O'Brien should be fired right now. And, and, I, and I say that saying this. I don't think Jadavion Clowney was the franchise. I think that they wanted him desperately to be the franchise i've obviously had friends that played there that would used to talk to me like dude they were trying to give this dude the keys to the kingdom like they'll do anything to let him take over but the truth is jj watt makes that seem what they are deshaun watson makes that seem what they are deshaun hopkins makes that seem what they are you know those guys are the 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 real players on that team but when you trade away such a great player like that because as an offensive lineman when jadavion Clowney's walking around you're not in the back of your mind like oh he's good you're like, is he gonna come through the A gap, my B gap? Who's he come? Who's where's he going? You know, and that just throws you for such a mental loop because you don't know what you're doing, and he's just roaming around this defense, and you're like, this is one of the best pass rushers in the league right now. I mean, it's so. How would you get rid of that? And not only that, but why would you pay half of his salary? Like that just makes no sense to me. And the interesting thing, and in transitioning this a little bit into what Matt just wrote about, um, it almost feels like for Deshaun Watson, what Bill O'Brien is now doing for him or doing to him is saying, okay, this offense, when it had this incredible defense that was probably a Super Bowl caliber defense, the offense now has to, it will probably in multiple circumstances in the 2019 season have to bail out the defense because you don't get better trading away your best defensive player. I just don't believe that. Um, and it's interesting now, Matt, with the article that you wrote recently, just about the defensive regression we might see here in Minnesota and what that could potentially do to the offense here. Yeah, that's something that I keep thinking about, Alex, is just about how this Vikings defense is getting a little more on an age. And even if Everson Griffin is still good, it's going to be hard to be as good as he was in 2017. And Xavier Rhodes is fading a little bit. So if they if they do slip back a, a bit, even though they're still good, that's points you have to make up on offense. And I'm curious how much better you think the Vikings offense will have to be because there's an assumption that they'll be better. And I totally agree with that. But now I keep thinking you're sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> with the defense fading you know, in its age and bringing back older players. So now if you are better on offense, you've got to be a lot better on offense. Does any of that make sense? It makes total sense. And I, and I read the article that you wrote, and, and I, it took me a minute to read it and kind of understand what you were saying, but I get it. I think a lot of this is based on the assumption that they do take a step back. Now, do I think they're going to take a step back? No, I don't. 
I think that Mike Zimmer knows defense better than anybody. I think that you still have some of the most premier players on defense on this team. I think some guys had a bad preseason, and that all of a sudden makes everybody want to freak out and go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and It's like, hey, listen, it's still preseason. Some guys take a lot longer to warm up, you know, and having played in the league, having seen guys, some guys show up day one ready to go. Some guys, week three, week four preseason, they're like, okay, now I'm ready to go. You know, I just, I needed to get over that hump mentally or I needed physically to get to a certain shape. So presuming that you say that they do take this step back, which, okay, say they do, I think that there are some things that they need to get better on offense, especially it's going to be on third down. I mean, you have to get better on third down. You people talk about what makes a good team. You have a good third down. If you can keep extending drives and keep your defense off the field, you'll win more games on the basis that you're just going to have the ball longer and you're going to do more things and you're going to have better chances because the more you have the ball, the more tired they get. And all of a sudden your defense starts getting rowdy and excited and then all of a sudden your offense starts clicking and they get into a flow. And, you know, it's people talk about a lot of things. You got to rush the ball well. You got to rush the passer well. You got to do this. The most important thing I always found on offense, other than not turning the ball over, was third down. Because first and second down are always a crapshoot. You never know how it's going to go. But third down, when you're on it and you're playing well, your team can be unstoppable. So I, I have a few questions off of that. But one is you had a chance to practice against Mike Zimmer defenses and. Yeah. He has remarkable success on third down. I included that in the article. Just the um, amazing consistency of being great on defense on third down is very, very hard to do in right. an offensive league. And I used a couple of examples of um, you know plays against Miami last year where Ryan Tannehill was just Saw completely it. baffled. Explain to me why he's so good at the third down play calling because it seems like he's one of the few in the league who has great teams year to year. All right, so this is one of my biggest gripes, is that everyone's going to give Mike this credit when really it's the players. Because if you're watching, when you're looking at a team on defense and you're like, okay, who's going to come? The only person that really tells you what the story is the safety. Harrison Smith, for this team, does such a great job of holding his position. And then at the last second, Mm -hmm. right before the ball snapped, he just clears off the center field. Mm -hmm. This is one of those things that... People say, well, you know, it's his ability to bring pressure. Okay, once again, that's the players. You know, you're, you're bringing Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter. Those guys are coming off the edge relentlessly. So now in the quarterback's mind, he's like, hey, now I got to get the ball off. I can't be messing around back here today. This is for real. But then you possibly bring the Cali look, which is the two linebackers in the A gap, like you had shown in those two videos against Miami. We would call that a Cali look. When you bring a Cali, now everybody's in play because it could be a three-step timing, it could be a five-step timing, it could be a Ray, a Lee. You know, those guys are important. Who does the back? Is he back taking one of the linebackers? And then, you know, the new thing that Mike likes to do, and I feel bad kind of giving some of his secrets away, but it is what it is. It's a Mike, shame. It's a shame, but I'm going to have to do this for this portion of the show. He likes to twist the linebacker. So he'll have the linebacker pick the guard, and then the three technique who's on the outside shoulder of the guard will come back inside. So not only do you have to switch off a twist, you've got to do it with the running back, which in any league other than playing with Frank Gore is impossible because Frank was the only one that would actually like to hit people. But, <laughs> and it's so hard because you're on such different levels, but this is the creativity that he's had, right? Like, hey, this isn't even effective anymore. Now we've got to take it to a new level. We can't even twist anymore. Let's, let's twist them and we'll make the running back and the guard switch off. It is literally the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life. And the running backs look at you like it's your fault. Like, dude, where were you? You're like, nah, dude, don't, don't you even give me that look right now. Well, now, the offensive line, in the clips that I included, the offensive linemen are uh, confounded yeah. and, and by that play. As much as Tannehill, and your point about uh, Harrison Smith was really interesting. I was watching um, Green Bay against the Vikings from two years ago, maybe when Rodgers is still uh, good, not washed. I'm just kidding, Alex. Um, but uh, 
But even Rodgers gets thrown off by Harrison yeah. Smith. It's not just the bad quarterbacks. It's everybody. Yeah, I mean, you can never replace a guy that can hold his position as long as Harrison can because because what it does is it shows the offense because at some point, I mean, you've play, I've played guys that they couldn't hold their position for more than a second. Like, they just get spooked and they start running around and you're like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> but, you know, you look at him and you'd be like, I'm looking at him. He's not moving, guys. He's got to be coming from the left. And at the last second, like right as the center's head comes up to snap the ball, he takes off running. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow, we're completely wrong on this. I mean, it's just, <laughs> and it's one of those things that as you're setting, you're like, how many other other guys know we're just about to get this quarterback smacked right now. Like, and you're, oh my god, just get rid of the ball. He doesn't. It's a mess. Thanks, you, Harrison. So much trouble. It's a lot awesome. of fun. That's yes. awesome. So, when we talk about defensive regression in the NFL, I know the Bears are like the number one team in the spotlight here, just because no more Vic Fangio. A few pieces of their defense went elsewhere in free agency. No one's really expecting them to replicate the amount of points that they scored. With from de- from the defensive side of the ball, just on turnovers, and then you look at Minnesota, and then as Matt said, like what is the argument there for defensive regression? Like if you had to pick one area, maybe it's age because you still have you know eleven ten of your eleven starters returning this year to the defense with Anthony Harris now filling in full time opposite Harrison Smith. Um, where could they regress the most? Like is there is there an easy way to to pinpoint something that we should be on the look for? I mean, I think that there's two things that worry me. Number one is always age. I mean, Father Time takes a drastic toll on everybody, and you never know when it's going to hit you. You know, I mean, all of a sudden one day you wake up and you just can't take a hit like you used to. You know, you once enjoyed him, and now all of a sudden you dread him. And so that's always a tough scenario to, to run your mind through for a team. But for me, it's it has a lot to do with kind of being complacent. You know, I think that sometimes when teams are together long enough, they fall into this trap, and every team does it. And I don't know what it is, but it's, hey, we're together. We've been together. We know what we're doing. We can have a few bad practices and all of a sudden things will be right on game day because we know what we're doing, right, guys? And everybody starts to believe this fake mentality that, hey, listen, we just got to show up on game day. We've been doing this together for like five years, guys. We're cool. We got this. But the truth is this is such a brutal sport that the only way to get better is to physically exhaust yourself every single day and to really, truly go out there and hit each other and go through all that. So you know, And I say that because I've been on teams with regression like that where guys were like, hey, man, we'll get it right on game day. And the coaches were like, yeah. They're going to be fine on game day, and you were like, "No, they're not going to be fine." This is it. Just it doesn't work like that. Football never has been played like that. Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin, Matthew Collar here on Purple Daily. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back. Alex, we had a good conversation about Kirk Cousins under the bright lights of uh, primetime games, and I'm curious about your opinion, having been on the field, uh, about choking and and those games and what they're like and uh, also leading up to week one what that's like too because i think it takes a little while for teams to really figure out who they are so let's discuss that when we come back you are listening to purple daily here on score north yeah you, you start to become a little bit more tunnel vision as far as uh, you know what you have to do in that game players start a lot less installation it's more about um game preparation uh studying the opponent um you know, trying to trying to get ideas on how to stop them, how to gain yards. Minnesota Vikings head coach there back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, and Alex Boone. All right, let me throw this at you, Alex. We discussed earlier on the show about Kirk Cousins and primetime games. And my takeaway from diving into this a little bit is that Kirk Cousins has been very much the same player during primetime games as he is during regular season games. But a lot of times 
when you're playing the regular 12 o'clock game, um, you might be playing the Jets or someone. And you just, <laughs> like, if you make a horrible mistake, you still win because they're bad and it doesn't matter and no one notices. You make a mistake against the Bears and throw a pick six, everyone's going to notice. I think that that's the difference. Well, I, that, yeah, I agree with that. But I think that there's some guys that they just, they put too much pressure on themselves in big games. And they, you know, you can almost see it on their face. They say to themselves, I'm going to take the show, I'm going to shoulder this team right now and I'm just going to go. And you're like, dude, you don't have to do that. You've never had to do that. The rest of this team can catch up with you. And that just it's just how it goes. And for whatever reason, mentally, they just can't get over the fact that they need to shoulder the whole load. Well, what would you say is Kirk's biggest like well, what's your biggest gripe then with Kirk in these primetime games? Because I know there you can you can look at the Monday night football numbers. I guess he's 0 and seven in those games. And you also look at the games where they're playing really good opponents, um, and a lot of times before halftime they're down two scores. So I mean there's a number of mitigating factors, but is there some area that you can actually look at and say that can be fixed? I think, you know, no. I think the one thing I was thinking about was in the preseason this year, you know, just trying to rewatch him. You know, watching that last preseason game where he's just overthrowing everybody. And it just looks to me like he's just a tad off target. And not only that, but it, it would be something that. I feel like sometimes I've seen that happen with other quarterbacks, and they're kind of like, hey, listen, I need to take a deep breath, and I need to go talk to my receivers, and I need to make sure we're all good, and maybe it's me. You know, I think you need to be more open when things like that start happening. I think there's times when there's quarterbacks that shut down, and they go, you know what? It's me. I got to do it. I got to figure this out. It's all on me right now, and they just keep putting more pressure on themselves as the game goes on. And you can see it in the huddle and you see it when you're talking to them and they're constantly like, hey, we gotta kill this and we gotta go over to the Rocco instead of the Loco and you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're you're out of control. Like it's like you're talking to one of your kids. And I've been there with quarterbacks that sit there and they look at the they're kind of looking at the pictures like a Carson Palmer and he's like, you know what? It's all my fault. Won't happen again. And it's done. The, it, the, the series is over. We're not going to talk about it. We get it. Carson took the blame for it. And even if it wasn't his fault, he would still take the blame for it. And I always respected that about Carson because he was like, you know what? It doesn't matter whose fault it is as long as we get it corrected. It doesn't matter. So he'd say, it's my fault. And then he'd go over and talk to whoever's fault it was. He'd be like, hey, listen, I need you on the same page as me. You know? And I think that sometimes that gets overlooked is communication on game day is like guys are like, I don't, you know, I got to go into my little hole or my little shell and I got to be my own person. No, man, be here with us. Have fun with us. And I think that that's what quarterbacks overlook. Well, week 17 last year was certainly evidence that uh, Kirk Cousins struggles at times with that sort of thing, with the interpersonal communication. And and I tend to think from just talking to a number of players, Alex, that everyone, uh, the tone is set by the quarterback in the huddle and on the sideline, and everyone tends to react off that. And I think last year that there were some guys, after playing with Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, Sam Bradford, were a little bit taken aback by Kirk Cousins' personality being so much different. Yeah, I think that when you're talking talking about Teddy and Casey and Sam. I mean, you're talking about some of the most relaxed guys you had ever met in your life. I mean, just never... I loved playing with those guys because it always felt like nothing bothered them. No matter how bad the situation was, everything was okay. Hey, man, we're okay. He'd be like, no, dude, we're not. It's 31 nothing. We're in a real pickle here, Sam. He'd be like, dude, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to get out of this. And, you, and his calmness would just be like, okay, you're so right. You are so right, Sam. We're going to get out of this. <laughs> and now, he knew we weren't, but at the end of the day, he saw everybody around him freaking out, and he was like, I can't let everybody t- completely sink. And, he, and you're right when you say that because, you know, Every team, I always try to say, has an X factor. Somebody that gets the team riled up. And for the most part, it's always the quarterback. The quarterback is always going to lead the team and drive the team and drive the train. But if you have somebody that's super spastic or super, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Super serious all the time, and they never break out of character, and they never really allow you to have fun, or they kind of have fun, and you see them joke around. It always makes you feel tense around them, and you can never feel lightened around them, and you can never feel like you can just let it go a little bit. So it's week one. We heard Mike Zimmer talking about how things change from a month of the preseason going into week one at the top of the segment. I'm curious, like for from a player's perspective, I mean, you know this is coming for so long. And I'm sure that even before last week, and they were doing split squad practices, the starters were probably focused on Atlanta. So they've had a little bit more time. Um, How different is this week? Like, I know that we put so much pressure on... You know, week one, it's the start of the season. Yeah, September football sometimes isn't the prettiest. Um, but going into week one, where's walk me through like what a player's mindset is like. I mean, right now it's game time. I mean, it's go time. And, and you know, dealing with different head coaches, they did things differently. When I was with Harbaugh, he would he was terrible. Like week one, day one of training camp, he would split the team up. And he would be like, these are the guys that are for sure going to make the team, and every this is everybody else. And he would say, the guys that are for sure going to make the team, you guys go over there and practice, and everybody else you practice over here. And so like the whole training camp, we were on two different playbooks. And he would always come into us and he'd say, hey, listen, we can't ever share our playbook with anybody outside this room because we don't know if those guys are going to be here. And these are the keys to all the answers to our tests. Hmm. And it was awesome because you would, instead of going over any preseason games, you would watch the first four games of the year. And we would be so dialed into those first four games. We would have all the plays in so that by week one, you've already had two, three weeks on this team and you're going into it again. And by week two, you've got another two weeks or three weeks on the team. I mean, he was like, Hey, listen, I don't care about preseason. I don't care what you guys do out there. We're going to go. We're going to make it simple. We're going to run power, zone, and we're going to throw 62. That's it. So you don't have to worry about a thing out there. I'm not going to call some sweet dazzle play that you guys are going to be like, dude, I don't know what we're doing. He was like, we're going to focus on these first four games because how you start the year is huge because you need that momentum for a lot of teams. And I agree with that, and I loved it. Uh, There's a Kyle Sloter point to be made here that I'm just going to let go right by about the (laughs) – the head coach not even caring at all about preseason. So he definitely wouldn't grade his quarterbacks by several preseason games. But we'll just move on. That's <laughs> that's some snark for me on that topic. But um, so, you know, I've been looking at this this game, Alex, as I think a huge one. And when you start off in week one, every you know, if you lose, everyone will go, well, just week one, whatever. But it kind of shapes the season because you're playing a tough opponent with a really great quarterback, but you're at home, so it's a chance to get a, a, a strong victory here. But when you look at the next couple of games, you got to go to Green Bay. That's never easy. To Chicago, which I think you're aware is not Minnesota's favorite spot to go in the world, oh, yeah. uh, Soldier Field. And then you've got an Oakland game that you should win in there. But I, I tend to think with this schedule, the way it's mapped out, that winning this game is kind of huge for the Vikings. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is the momentum game that you need. And not only that, but this isn't one of those games. Like, I remember in 2016 when I played here and we had just lost Teddy and all of a sudden it was Sam Hill and it was like, man, what are we going to do? We had the Tennessee Titans. So it was like, man, it's not like we're playing the Patriots. We didn't have to walk in somewhere and go, boy, this is going to be a real tough. Like, we we were like, hey, man, we're pretty confident we're going to be okay in this first game. And then after that, we'll figure it out. You're playing the Atlanta Falcons. This is a good team. You got Dirk Cutter coming back. He's obviously been with Matt Ryan before when he was successful. I think that. You know, we're obviously going to talk about matchups later this week, but there's going to be some really fun matchups to watch in this game. And I think for guys personally, momentum builders for the rest of the year are going to be huge this game. 
Are you looking at it the same way, Courtney, when you uh, both of you two are on the same 11 and 5 page and mm-hmm. I uh, both of you two picked this game as a win for the Vikings and I would too. And, and you're right, Alex, we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of this more. But I'm just thinking sort of big picture of, like you said, a lot of times we go into this, even against San Francisco last year, like, OK, well, we'll see how it goes. They should beat San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo's not that great. Zimmer will take care of him. You know, the defense will take care of him. But this one is, a Courtney, a, gr- a great opponent on, on the mm-hmm. offensive side. And I feel like it's an immediate test for the Vikings in a lot of ways. So I kind of love the way that this is set up, where even right from the very get-go, there's a big game here. Well, yeah, and I think that when you look at it from that perspective, um, whether Julio Jones plays or not, I mean, my head goes to, for especially throughout this season, is Xavier Rhodes still going to be in the capability of shadowing the other team's number one receiver week in and week out. And, I mean, if it starts here in Atlanta and it goes poorly, what does that mean for how the court... I mean, are they just going to play sides? Are they just going to... like? Are they not going to have a number one corner? I mean, that's that's just like one perspective that I'm looking at here from what this means. But I also think it's a measuring stick uh, for this team given they have a pretty manageable schedule the first four weeks of the season. Atlanta, yeah. Green Bay... Raiders, and then week four against Chicago. I mean, everything's leading into that Chicago game, and if you can get a win, I mean, Alex was talking about it, that's a tough place to play. For whatever reason, that's always been kind of the Achilles heel for this Vikings team. If you can start out the first portion of the season 3-1, and 2-2, and I think you're in a really good spot, and I mean, yeah, it does start with Atlanta. I wouldn't say it's a must-win game, but Atlanta's really, really good. Yeah, it's sort of as close as you could get in week one. Alex, I'm curious about how much um, is new for a team when they get to week one. I mean, like how much differently, how much more creatively do you see other teams doing stuff from what you watched on tape, right? Because all you have to work on if you're the Vikings is Atlanta's defensive tape from last year, which I'm sure is a joke because they were missing a bunch of their players and right. had a horrific defense. I would think that game planning for this one is the hardest one. Absolutely. Well, because like you just said, number one, you don't have a lot of tape. And that always used to drive me nuts because I was a big film study guy. I have to see film. And, you know, coaches would be like, hey, just go to last year and watch tape. I'm like, no, dude, they've changed so much. It's been nine months. Like, they're probably completely different physique. They're a year older. They probably have all new moves. And you don't get to see these guys, which... As much as I'm kind of annoyed by it, I'm seeing why guys are doing it now, and obviously teams are starting to hold out their entire team. But you come into this game and you're like, man, I have no idea what they're going to do. Now, I know these coaches, they all know each other. They've all sat in the same circles. They've all known, hey, listen, this guy's going to run a 4-3. This guy's going to run a 3-4. This is what they're going to do. You know, Obviously, Dan Quinn, he comes from uh, the Seattle. Uh, he likes to you know, get his pressure with his front four. You know that. I think there's a question... That I would have had though is like the D line. What do they look like together? You know, obviously preseason, you never know if someone's going hard. You never know if they're just out there to kind of get their reps and get out. So when it, when it comes like the first play of that game, everyone's kind of looking around like, Hey, this is about to be for real. And it's been a long time since we've did this. And it's kind of fun at this, like when you're thinking about it. Do you think the Falcons might have it a little harder, uh, from, from that perspective, just given, this coordinator change for the Vikings happened in week 15 last year. So they've got th- really two games to go off of because the Vikings were awful in week 17. And or you don't, do, yeah. or does everyone does it make know it Gary? Does, yeah, everyone, think, does everyone know Gary Kubiak's offense at this point? I mean, it, well, but, yeah, not only that, but I think, like you said, everybody knows his offense. And not, it, what are they going to do? They're going to run the ball. They're clearly a running team. Like they, Zimmer wants his team to run the ball. So that's what we need to prepare for. And how do you really prepare for that? Well, you let your team know, hey, listen, they're trying to run the ball down your mouth. Like at the end of the day, you stop them or you won't. Man, that's just a great sentence. 
You just Stop we're gonna, we're you gonna run the ball down. Uh, I have a question about that, but I think we should take a break so we can discuss it for a little bit longer about um, not just whether it's the right approach for them to run the ball a lot, because I saw um, an interesting thing from someone on Twitter today, but also um, as the Vikings add another receiver to the mix in Josh Doxson, how are they going to spread the football around to everyone else not named Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs? Let's discuss that when we come back. Alex Boone, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily on Score North. 3.37 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. One thing you can download from us is the Minnesota Sports Rewind. It's where Score North goes back in time and dives deep into some of the most prominent moments in Minnesota sports history, including Twins and Tigers Game 163, Twins and A's from the 2002 ALDS, Kevin Love's 30-30 and 30 game, and Kevin Garnett's dominating Game 7 against Sacramento. Also, Season 2 is going to be dropped to, to, or tomorrow, so check out that feed for what's coming next. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind on scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Okay, before we went to break, Alex Boone said you want to run it down their face or something like that, and it was <laughs> yeah. great. So, uh, Alex, now here's what I want to know, though. Is it a smart idea to still run it down their face? Because, um, oh, wow, this is actually surprising. We have a little breaking Vikings news, so hold that for a second. Brett Jones released by the Vikings to sign Josh Doxson. I'm surprised by that. Aren't you, Courtney? I actually didn't have him on my 53. Um, And the the only reason... uh, Oh, I'm just seeing the tweet now. Uh, The only reason I'm... I thought that was because they need they had such bigger needs at the tackle spots for mm. depth, which is why Dakota Dozier was such an important piece in Oliudo, who Mike Zimmer they clearly felt they couldn't sneak him onto the practice squad because while he may need a little bit more time um, in the oven to to I guess to marinate I guess is that the right word I don't know I don't um, marinate I, I don't know. <laughs> Put him in the crock pot, whatever. Um, so people so that's on Twitter why, that's tell why you to I get in the kitchen. You have no idea what you're doing. Then, no, so. no, no clue whatsoever. <laughs> um, but that's just why I felt like they had so much. They were in such a better spot than they were a year ago with the interior depth hmm. that that's why Brett Jones was a little bit expand, expandable. And I know that he had the best numbers of any of their linemen throughout uh, you know preseason games. If you want to put much stock into that, but that's. I'm a little surprised about that, but then I'm also not because think about how important tight ends are in this offense. Think about yeah, how to important keep four tight ends, right. to, to keep five running backs. I mean, that never seemed like a realistic option. So I guess I'm really not surprised about this at all. Uh, Alex, do you like the Josh Doxson move? Uh, not really. No. I mean, I mean I'm, listen, I'm a former player, right? So when you ask me, do you think that bringing in a player that's failed the last how many years at a different team, do you think he's going to be better on your team? No, I don't. <laughs> Fair. I don't see why he'll be Harsh any better. Like, no, it's very like, fair. Listen, at, 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 at the end of the day, you're all running the same routes. Now, I get that some guys fit in better schemes. Like, There's some running backs that just get cut, and you're like, thank God, because they didn't belong in that scheme. They can come over here and play with us. They'll be great. But when you're a receiver, you're running the same routes. So if you failed in one scheme, why are you going to be any better over here? You're not. I'm yeah. sorry. I think the best argument for it is that he is slightly better than Laquan Treadwell. So if he gives them anything, then you've won. I'm about to say, what are you getting if you're slightly better than Laquan Treadwell? Anything? <laughs> is it point. even worth the pickup? Someone no. breathing better? Uh, yeah. Little things. Let's just say that uh, they have to hope that Chad Beebe and uh, BC Johnson maybe step up there, too. Because I, yeah, I agree with you that I wouldn't put a whole lot into Josh Doxson. If he makes a handful of plays, then you've succeeded in this move, which is what we wanted to discuss in this segment, Alex, is just 
how they're going to distribute the ball other than throwing to Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And do you think, and I know offensive linemen love run blocking, so remove your <laughs> offensive line bias hat for a second here. No, uh, no. But, to, no. But, but is it, will, will it work for the Vikings to focus more on the run game than most teams are in the NFL today? Yeah, listen, I think that Dalvin Cook is a special runner, and I think there's only a few guys in this league that when you watch them, they really excite you. Because at the end of the day, everybody else is just going to run into somebody or give you four yards, and you're going to be like, dude, you're supposed to cut left, and he cuts right. (laughs) Believe me, I used to watch the film and yell at the running backs. Like, dude, you don't see that hole right there because I see it, and everybody else behind you saw it, but (laughs) it's okay. The whole line will take the credit for it. So, you know, when you're looking at this, I think that I like Amir Abdullah out of the backfield. I think that he's not going to do anything crazy. I think Delvin Cook out of the backfield is exciting. But I think Kyle Rudolph has to get more involved. And he's a big tight end. He's a physical tight end at the point of catching the ball. I don't think his run blocking ability is what it used to be or ever was. But, you know, I think when you talk about a big tight end that needs to get in more third downs and in the red zone, you got to take full advantage of him. Yeah, no, I, and I understand that when you look at the numbers and they say, "Hey, don't throw, don't run in situation, certain situations, and throw in certain situations." But when you have a running back that can break an eighty-yard run at any time, I think that that changes the dynamic a little bit. And you could tell better than I can, Alex. But I think that when you're an offense. If you have somebody who's eating up yards and kind of making it easy for you, as easy as it can ever be to get yards in the NFL, by just handing someone special the ball and pushing forward as an offensive line, I think in a way it conserves some energy for an offense. And for a quarterback who doesn't have to make a million reads at the line of scrimmage, he just has to hand it off and then you get yards out of it. I think there's value in that, even if it's analytically maybe not the perfect thing to do in that situation. No, I agree with you. Not only that, but you're wearing down a defense. You're wearing down a team mentally and physically. I mean, there's nothing more awesome than watching, you know, I've heard from our defensive guys say, dude, there's nothing like watching you guys run power or zone and you just start smashing people. Like, it's so fun. It gets us into the game. So I'm with you. No matter what analytics say, I think that when you have a special running back like Dalvin Cook, you have to use him to them as much as you absolutely can. There's teams now, they're built to rush the pass. Everybody wants to get to the quarterback. Everybody wants to get the sacks. Oh, I want to be all flashy. That's great. But I want to see if on the way to get sacks, if you can hold up with the deuce or the tray or the zone blocking. I want to see how much you can do. And the thing about Dalvin is, it doesn't have to be perfect up front. He'll make a guy miss. He'll run over a few guys at the same time. I mean, that's what's so fun about watching him is it doesn't have to look perfect up front. It could be somewhat okay, and he's like, hey, listen, watch this. I'm going to make a move, and I'm gone. So you have to absolutely use him as much as you can. I just want to point out that you said sacks, that everybody yeah. is trying to get the sacks, like as in yeah. quarterback sacks. Yeah. Could, no, could have come across differently, um, oh, <laughs> depending no. on audio quality. Oh, God. I didn't think we were going there with that. Uh, yeah, neither okay. did I, dude. Sorry, bad, no, jo- bad joke. Horrible bad, joke. Bad, bad joke. Bad timing. Take, take it from here. Um, take it from here. Okay, so I want to get back to just a little bit more of how they constructed this roster. So they decide they want to keep five running backs, which really with Gary Kubiak's system, that does, this shouldn't surprise anybody. No. The one thing, though, with, with C.J. Ham, and we've talked more about the fullback in the resurgence of that over the last six to eight weeks, I think. As we should. Um, as we should. You're not talking about neck rolls with your run, with your fullbacks anymore, <laughs> oh, but you're talking about the modern era of the fullback. How can you see what kind of role is he going to have in this? Because last year he was used sparingly. Sometimes they'd attempt to throw a screen to him. Sometimes they'd use like you know play-action boot to the fullback. How often, though, is that going to be 
a part of what Kirk Cousins does offensively. Well, I think when you keep him all these other running backs, I don't think he's going to be used a lot. I think that CJ's biggest role is going to be special teams. He's okay. obviously going to be one of their core players on special teams. And he's one of those guys at the end of the day that you're like, hey, listen, we could get rid of him and bring in a young guy, but at the end of the day, he brings a veteran mentality. He brings a leadership role to this special teams unit. And those are so rare to find. A good special teams leader. I know CJ Ham. I know he's one of the greatest guys in the world. He's a hard worker. He's a great teammate. So I think that when they're looking at this, they say, hey, listen, we could get a receiver that could be a special teams player, or we could keep CJ Ham, and he could be a core special teams player for us for many years, like like Marcus Sherrill's was, you know. And these are the guys that you look back and you go, I wonder why they kept them. They kept them for the special teams, and we there's tons of guys that I've played with for that exact reason that they bring such an asset and a value because they're not afraid to run down on kickoff and they're not afraid to catch the ball when it's in the air. You know, they just like, hey, listen, whatever I have to do to make this team, I will absolutely give it everything I have. Yeah, CJ is definitely that guy, mm-hmm. and I know yeah. that there were some people that thought he might get cut. It's like, no. No. Not the not the way they feel about him, and for all yeah. the things he can. I mean, do. heck, at some point, people were making the argument that they would keep a backup instead of a fourth tight end. That they would keep a backup fullback with Kari Blazingame. I mean, and they liked him enough; they got him onto the practice squad because so, they never go and look at anybody else's rosters. They like what they have among right, their own right. group uh, to sign those ten guys back to um, you know to the practice squad. When I looked at how often Kubiak used fullbacks, too, he was always among, when he was with Houston, the leaders for how often he was using the fullbacks. So I think that that will be mildly important to throw out there 15% of plays or something. But I'm curious what you both think about how the passes will now be distributed. Now that Josh Doxson is in the mix. So you have... Uh, we know what Rudolph's going to do. They're going to throw to him. He's going to get 60 or 70 catches, and he's going to catch some first downs on third downs, some touchdowns in the red zone. He's going to be Kyle Rudolph. So beyond him, Thielen, and Diggs, I think it's very much up in the air in how they distribute. Now, I will not make you make a pie chart this time, Courtney, because that's does Alex, dangerous. Does Alex know about the uh, unsuccessful times no, I've had no, with the... No. Uh, all right, so every every time we have something that we're trying to get I guess we have to, to wager this, on, I have some paper here. Um, you want a pen? He may. I have a pen. Okay, I'm prepared. All right, it's time. Um, we're, gonna do, we're doing so a pie chart. We do pie charts, and usually my math is so off, <laughs> or my drawing is so off that uh, it looks terrible. I mean, look at my. I don't know if anybody can see on the live stream. Just the circle that I drew looks like an oval. Looks like an egg. Uh, um, you made it all the way around. So go ahead and give me the probability. <laughs> yes, I did. All right. Uh, so go ahead and ma- give me the probabilities. Okay, you have. Um, this yeah. is this is well, how it's well, going to be distributed. Here's the, the people in your pie chart. You need Chad Beebe. You need Josh Doxson. You need B.C. Johnson, Irv Smith, and uh, let's include Conklin and, and Cook. Delvin Cook, and then other. So now, so you're you're completely well, throwing Kyle Rudolph out of here. Uh, no, 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 I'm just saying beyond the three obvious ones. Okay, we well, know who they're throwing. He's going to get sixty or seventy catches. Right, yeah. exactly. Okay, we so know exactly what he Irv and Smith, the other two are going to do. So while she works on this, Alex, oh, this how, will be. How do you so many to work through here? This I know there's hard. a lot there. That's a lot. Because well, now you're talking about guys that you yeah, they might not even be primary or secondary receivers on a roster. Okay, and why don't you include Conklin for other then? You don't Fine. have to include the number three or four tight end. So uh, I guess my question, Alex, is in a Kubiak offense, I-, I think that they're going to throw to Thielen and Diggs less, but for more yards per catch. So if they don't get a hundred catches, fantasy people will be really mad. But if they end up with 14 or 15 yards of reception, I think that's what they want to do with the play-action passes and not have to throw them a bunch of short passes all the time like they did last year. 
No, I think you're right. I think they want to, hey, let's spread out this field. Let's not make it one-dimensional where everyone just closes off half the field and says that we know they're not going there. I agree with you, and I think that the reason that that's going to happen, though, is because of the run game. I think that this run game is going to pick up, and it's going to lead to them running the ball more. And obviously, as you're running the ball more, something has to come down. The passes will come down. I don't think it'll be a dramatic change. I mean, I think that I think Thielen still gets over 100, but I don't think that Stephon Diggs gets over 100. Do you think that, well, last year, so Diggs ends up with 100 last year, and part of it was throwing him quick screen passes. I think those are just gone from this offense, right? I mean, I I think they're trying to use Diggs to more of what he's great at, which is like a 15-yard hitch or something, where he just can use his great route running to get open down the field as opposed to just take the snap, whip it out to him, and hope he can break a big play. But how nice is it when he does break a big play? I mean, that's such a simple play. You know, we call those gimmicks. It's a gimmick play. It's super simple. It's almost hard to mess up. But at the end of the day, you never know how the outcome's going to go. Now, the corner could read it right away and tackle him right away, and then he'd say, hey, it was a gimmick. We tried it. Nothing happened. Or Stefan Diggs breaks the tackle, and all of a sudden he's down the sideline. So I think that when you throw in those plays, it's just a changeup. It's a nice curveball. And you know what? If a receiver could do it, because we've seen it before where they throw a guy the ball, and he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't run a route, so he's like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to catch this ball but I think that when you watch Stefan Diggs run he is such a great natural runner and when he gets the ball he knows exactly where to go and how to use his blocker so I, I think that when you have a guy like that it's nothing wrong with sprinkling that in every once in a while uh Courtney I've got my percentages, percentages it's just a matter now of drawing it it's very difficult uh, I will not speak to you until you draw this okay oh, we're wow. just going to keep talking amongst ourselves until you finish uh this is hard <laughs> uh well you know and, and so that's where you know, Thielen lining up in the slot. I'm curious about how much they do that because it's interesting, Alex. In 2016, he's an outside receiver and he's going down the field a lot. And right. then by 2017, 18, he is more in the slot. But they also have Chad Beebe, who's a slot receiver. And the difference seems to be really significant between in the slot and on the outsides where it's a lot of opportunities to run after the catch. And I think it takes a pretty special receiver. We saw Sean Mannion throw the pick six when Chad Beebe read the defense wrong, zone or man. And with Adam Thielen, I think he's just special at that when it comes to knowing exactly where to go against whatever defense he's facing. Doesn't it just look like he's always extremely wide open? It does. It does. Like you're always watching the game like, who is covering him? Can we go back <laughs> to the original to see who was covering him? Because, good God, that was terrible. Listen, there's nobody smarter out there than Thielen. And, and you have to respect that in his game because I think there's a lot of receivers nowadays that rely on talent. And they sit back and they say, hey, you know what? I'm the quickest. I'm the fastest. I got the best hand. Adam Thielen's like, hey, you know what? I'm the smartest. And I do have the best hands. And I'll make that difficult catch look really easy. Watch me do it. And he does it every single week, which makes him such a great player and such a great asset. Yeah, and the fact that he's been able to stay healthy through the years, too. It really is remarkable. I mean, uh, there's only so many times where you could be like, you know this guy came from Mankato, but every (laughs) once in a while you just kind of have to stop and say, remember that uh, Adam Thielen is great? Okay, Courtney, you're close? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, what do you got for percentages? These are pass catchers not named Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, or Kyle Rudolph. Go ahead. Okay. Wait, the other... No, no, no. I mean, other is like other people. I thought we were including Rudolph in the other. Oh, you're including. No, we said we were going to include Conklin in other. Conklin's in other. Conklin is in other. Rudolph was was never in this. Okay, let's include Rudolph in other. Yeah, because otherwise I have to redo the whole thing. Why would we not have Rudolph as being a That's what I was wondering. That's why I asked you. You even said it. You even said it. Okay. All right. So (laughs) if we're going to go ahead and include Rudolph in other, I'll just put. Why don't you just put Rudolph instead of other? Fine. (laughs) 
That's fine. This well, is going they, extremely actually, well. This is one of the is, better pie charts, uh, Alex. This is usually what happens, Alex. Um, all right, so, well, I'll start where I was going to start. start Dalvin Cook was 25% of the target share there. I know that we didn't see much of him in the preseason. 25%? Yes. Okay. I think that there's reason to believe that he will be involved more in the short passing game on screens, you know, catching balls out of the backfield. It's what we talked about for the last two years, and it never came to fruition yeah. because of injuries and because, honestly, the play calling, that was not a part of it. Um, think about it. The only time you can really think about running back screens last year actually working was the Week 14 Green Bay game. Yeah, swing pass. So, yeah. so I'll put him at 25%. Behind him, because I'm just going to go ahead and leave the other thing for later, um, I had Doxon at 20%. I think if he's somebody who really? has... That's a lot. It's, it is, it is. but for a number... Th- I'm, I'm going ahead and putting him as my number three receiver. Okay. So, that's fair. for I now. That's fair. I think that's fair, though, because of where he is, where he's coming from, and who... I mean... Obviously, his age will help him jump those receivers early on, but also how well he picks up the offense will be determined on what receiver he is. Yeah, sure, totally. and I mean, if, if a lot of those concepts, are, or at least some of them, are the same from what he had with Cousins in 2016, he's or at least... Three. Yeah. yeah, he's number yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Then I've got Irv Smith because I'm just not confident. I have him at 15%. He'll certainly be a downfield threat for the, for them. I think that you know when we were looking at the way the roster was constructed constructed initially and them keeping four receivers i wasn't all that concerned because they had other pieces elsewhere that can get open and get down the field but i have him at 15% just because i'm worried about the rookie hurdle uh, I've got BB at ten percent, BC Johnson at five, and then other I left at twenty five percent. So you can that, go ahead and throw Rudolph. Kyle okay. Rudolph and uh, Tyler Conklin and maybe Brandon. Dillard. So Alex, I think the biggest question there with her pie chart is it's a pretty good looking pie chart. It's not terrible. It's not <laughs> my worst one. Whether Doxon can actually be the number three is kind of the biggest question there. Yeah, I think a lot of it, and I've seen guys come in week one, and it's kind of like, hey, man, how fast do you want to do this? How fast can you do this? Uh, you know, unfortunately, in my career, there was a time where I had to do it. And so it's like, hey, listen, as fast as we can go, we're going to go. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really stopping him, like I said before. I mean, I get that there's certain combinations of routes that you know players have worked with or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's still very simple. So I don't see why he would not be the number three receiver going into week one. Uh, all right, looks like Josh Doxon is going to be number 13. Is that the worst receiver number? What's the worst receiver number before we wrap up? 13 uh, is kind of bad. Why? Oh, man. Why? Yeah. Are you well, saying because it is 13? It's bad luck. It's Dan Marino. Two reasons. Whoa. Whoa. It's, uh, last last it's Viking who wore 13 was Stacey Coley. Yeah. Well, I mean... You're going to curse somebody over know, some guy who never stopped? To me, it's just like a quarterback number, I think, 13. Okay. Not, not my favorite receiver number. That and maybe 87. 87 is not a good receiver number. I could see 87, but I see 87, I don't see 13. I get, a 13 looks sweet. Okay. All right. Fine. We'll agree. Hater. We'll agree to disagree. All right. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna wrap up. Uh, Alex, you'll be back on Thursday for two hours, yes. and you and I are gonna get freakishly in depth about the uh, Atlanta Falcons and Minnesota Vikings. So, thanks for your time, man. Courtney Cronin, as always, here every Tuesday for two hours, and uh, read her work on ESPN.com. We will catch you tomorrow here on Purple Daily. summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly 
Auto Parts. <laughs> 